Good afternoon. After a, a short recess for the summer, um, welcome back to this week's What Comes Next Live at five o'clock Tuesday UK time. Um, my guest this week is Colin Newlin. Um, and for those of you who feel that work is crap, um, Colin's on a bit of a mission. Welcome, Colin. I look forward to hearing about your, your mission to decrapify work. Hi, Tom. Yes, thank you for inviting me. Um, yes, my mission is to decrapify work because I think for uh, a lot of people, work is somewhere between meh and awful. So um, that's something we need to address. And it's sort of drawing upon my own experience of corporate life, uh, which was a bit of a mixed bag, really. So uh, I had a I had about 25 career uh, year career in corporate. Um, a large part of that was with um, a large telecommunications company, shall we say. Yep. And um, it sort of split into two halves. So the first half was uh, a playground because it was, you know, I was in these very entrepreneurial, mm -hmm. fast-moving units. Um, I was encouraged to come up with ideas and make stuff happen. And it was very supportive and fun. And then we got moved into another part of the business, which was almost the complete opposite. Um, and it was very command and control, hierarchical, uh, fear-driven organization. Uh, and that was more like a prison. Mm -hmm. So uh, having experienced these two extremes of prison and uh, playground, I know which one I preferred and which one was more productive. Um, because, you know, in that first part, not only did I thrive, but the businesses were very creative and innovative and collaborative and all that stuff that organizations say they want. And yet, strangely, since, you know, in my experience in being in the workforce since then, more and more organizations seem to become more like prisons than playgrounds. Hmm. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so I, you know, that's, that's really what Decrapify works about is um, mm -hmm. doing that and encouraging people to take action themselves to do that. Um, Hmm. And, and it's also a bit about uh, making people aware of what's going on. Cause I think I, I ended up, you know, it, 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 I ended up in quite quite a toxic workplace, um, and it, and it was a bit, it was quite damaging. Um, and I know that's happened to a lot of people because when I share my story, lots of people have similar tales to tell. Um, and all of it was I just didn't really understand what was going on. I didn't understand that the system I was in. And that a lot of this stuff is um, is a product of the system. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's not that that there's only one thing that causes it to be bad. It's a collision of lots of different things that end up making good people do bad things and creating bad experiences. Um, mm. So I think I think if, if people are armed with that knowledge and armed with some ideas and approaches to make some change happen. Um, they can improve their workplace, um, and by which I mean their work experience and the experience of the people they interact with, and then that sends ripples out, and you know maybe that will change everything for the good. You know, we can reach a tipping point. Mm. Um, so, is uh, looking to explore at one level is you talk about the difference between a playground and a prison, and prison there's words like control and fear, and some fairly toxic yep. words. Is what you're basically, is one of the premises you're starting from in order to empower people or have them feel empowered, um, that everybody thinks that's normal? 
Yeah, I think so. Or uh, are accepting of it um, mm. that you know that work shouldn't be fun. I mean, it shouldn't be. Um, all those things, you know, all those things at work that really annoy people. That that's just part of it, and you can't do things differently. And um, and that's patently not true because you know I know you can do things differently. There's lots of examples of businesses out there that 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 do take different approaches, mm. but there seems to be this orthodoxy of you know well this is what works about and it's just all about squeezing more out of people and um, focusing on the numbers and uh, that's made you know that, that's caused a lot of the problems uh, and I think we've driven a lot of humanity out of the workplace mm. um, and as as the humans in the workplace we can actually bring some of that back. Right. So you said you had 25 years in the sort of in the in the corporations. How long have you been out of that? As a as um, I like you, you paraphrased my joke because I refer to myself as a recovering chartered accountant. You're a recovering corporate executive. So how long have you been re- in recovery? Um, about 20 years. Okay. So, yeah. Um, so somebody once said to me, "It takes you as long to get over corporate life as you spend in it." So I'm nearly done. I'm almost back to normal, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you look too young to have got that long a career, but then uh, um, you never know. That's that's a compliment. Um, so with 20 years um, at differing levels focused on how it could be different, um, where do you where do you start with that in terms of? Well, the first thing is if you're an independent adv- advisor or consultant. You need to find clients. So who's the ideal client for you? Um, so the people I really want to work with are, are the people who are um, in the middle of the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, because um, it, my my observation is that, you know, the, the, where the work gets done in organizations and where the culture is set is in teams. Mm-hmm. And it's the people that lead and are... Um, active in those teams that actually you know make stuff happen uh set the set the tone and the culture and conversely have the power to to have change to make change happen because they can decide to do things differently um and implement it within their sort of circle of control and within their circle of influence Hmm. Uh, and um, I borrow on the, the Be More Pirate sort of approach that you're familiar with, that uh, you should ask for, you know, for forgiveness rather than permission mm-hmm. and uh, and do what you think is the right thing within your environment. Mm-hmm. Um, for, the, for the audience, um, list, regular listeners of the podcast, uh, my friend Alex Barker of Be More Pirate has been a guest. She's one of only two repeat guests and I'll just drop in timely at the time of recording that the other repeat guest was my first guest, my friend Mark Beaumont, who just broke the North Coast 500 record at the weekend, riding 500 miles nonstop on a bike in 28 hours. Wow. So variety of guests on this, on this podcast. So yeah, be more pirate. Um, Similarly, within the, the, not at the bottom or the top, but typically the, the middle of the organization is one way of looking at it. Or in the middle, it could be another meaning in terms of just in the thick of it, getting the work done and working in teams. 
Yeah, and also in the thick, in the middle in terms of um, often being the ones that are trying to, you know, they're sort of assaulted on both sides in some ways. In the, mm. um, you know, they want they 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 want to um, support and help the the people who are working for them, mm. um, and they're certainly getting you know demands from from below, but they're also getting a load of stuff shoved at them from the top from the top, sure. in terms of targets and you know strategy and all this sort of stuff. Um, and so they're quite often uh, feeling a little bit overwhelmed and uh, mm-hmm. you know squeezed, um, and that's disempowering. So it, it, part of the message is you know you have to you, you need to take back your power and use your agency because mm-hmm. they're effectively doing it anyway. I think one of the problems in organisations, and as, I mean we've seen some really stark examples of this recently. With some of the surveys on productivity of, in the office and work at home, the people at the top have a completely different perception of how the world works than people, you know, down the organisation that make stuff happen. And so the people at the top make decisions and make strategy and pass it down, mm-hmm. and then it hits you know, the team leaders and the middle managers, who then have to try and convert it into something that the people that work for them can actually make use of. Um, so they're sort of already doing this, you know, doing saying they're doing one thing and doing another one. Mm. Um, and, and I think they can use that capability um, to serve their own needs and the needs of their staff in a way that makes some change happen. Mm. So, so in your sort of bio on the podcast, you wrote that you want to inspire people to use the agency they have to improve their own work experience and that of the people they work with and ultimately the whole org. How do you find... What's the best way to reach them? Um, well, I'm trying to reach them through, you know, through speaking and, and writing and, and uh, exercises like this. Hmm. Um, I think there's, um, yeah, I mean, that's a question I'm wrestling with at the moment, to be hmm. perfectly frank. Um, where's the best place to, to put the information? Um, but part of it is, is, you know, trying to come up trying to find stories of people that have made change happen in right. this way um, and to give some practical tools or approaches, frameworks mm. that they can use. Mm. Um, and um, and be, a, you know, be a voice. I mean, so a lot of the stuff I write and I post quite a lot of stuff on LinkedIn, I get a lot of responses from people um, because they agree with me, but they're not hearing anybody else. You know, not here. It's not the sort of things I write about aren't often talked about because mm. that, you don't talk about that stuff in an organization because, you know, it's not, not allowed. Um, so yeah, that's sort of the, my approach at the moment. Um, mm. yeah. I've been wondering whether I should go on TikTok or. We'll <laughs> <laughs> have lots of short podcasts with, with people who can speak to their examples. Um, well, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The the uh, think about, I'm thinking about my own, you know, the work I love to do, um, which is around purpose-led leadership. And I, I've chosen at this point in my career, having worked a lot within with businesses of different sizes, different levels, I tend to simply work with the people at the top of the organisation now. Um, and I very much agree with you that, that culture is created, I mean, I would say not just at the middle, but at every level of the organization. Yeah. So you have to 
you know, spend most of your time listening if you're a CEO. Um, I just was lucky enough to meet with the CEO of the RSA last week. And my big takeaway from the meeting was he's a great listener. All right. And I thought, well, that's perfect. He's only been in the job six months. Okay. Um, and one of the things I hear is a lot is very negative language around CEOs um, of, of corporates. And, and that, you know, they're only interested in money and bonuses and fat cats and all this stuff. And I say, and I just simply say, not the ones I choose to work with. All right. Um, and whether they're in a very large organization or a medium size or a small organization, I, I'm much more interested in their behavior than the size of the organization as a client. And I guess my, you can either work within this outside the system and be, protest and be radical and look to tear it down, or you can look to be a little bit subversive and work inside it. So I think in thinking of your example and, and getting some understanding of the, the, the be more pirate ethos, is if you're actually going to make change happen, sometimes it's, you know, this is a bit contradictory, but sometimes it's getting clients, companies to pay you to help them with this work. Um, but then you're all, there is a level to which people go, oh, well, you're just preaching to the converted. But what occurs to me is there was a great book by Michael Lewis, who's written so many important books, um, but one of them is called Moneyball. And it was about yeah. a low-ranked, low-budget um, Major League Baseball team that started to run based not on gut feel of scouts who've been in the game 40 years, but based on mathematics. Mm -hmm. Well, nobody else was doing it. And now a lot of people are doing it, including for those in the UK who follow football, there's a team called Brentford, which is in the top half of the Premier League, the toughest league in the world. And I defy people to name one of their players. All right, because it's a money ball team. But they've taken Moneyball to another level because everybody's doing Moneyball and, and doing, you know, big data based, crunching the numbers, etc. There's something about the culture of that team that is making it work that you can't, you know, the, 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 the big data analysis can't do it. But the reason I use that story is that sometimes change happens because the market follows the leaders. And I am utterly convinced that a more, you know, whether it's you call it purpose led or values driven or just a, simply a more human um, work environment that is more playground than prison um, results in happier people yeah. who are more productive. So some of it is, is maybe whether it is preaching the good is like working with companies that go, okay, come help us decrapify work and talk to people and give speeches and stuff like that. So and that's, yeah, no, that's I think, possibly I think one, that's, one that's, avenue. That, that's absolutely. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I agree with your uh, your conclusion that playgrounds are you know create happier people and happier people create better organizations that on on all criteria mm. um and um i suppose i mean yeah part of part of the you know the, the, i mean the be more pirate approach is is actually very much based around values but expressing those values as you know in in behaviors and in in principles and in in community Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's really what, what you know, what, what makes the difference. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, yeah, a forward thinking progressive organization should want that to be happening in their organization. And I think uh, talking at looking at a broader organizational level, mm. then I think the way companies should be, you know, what they should be moving to is networks of teams um, and much less hierarchy and bureaucracy. 
yeah. and much more much more autonomy and self self management self direction within mm-hmm. those teams um and in that in that environment you know that that you you won't get there if you keep all the bureaucracy and if you don't have um honest exchange and evaluation of what's going on and, and mm-hmm. give everybody a voice and and that's really you know the essence of what decrapify work is about um and and a lot of organizations are you know a lot the ones that don't get it are not wanting to go in that direction i think the ones that do get it yeah they they know that's where they want to go and they mm-hmm. want some help getting there and um yeah i'm more than happy to help and um, I, th- I think um environment. sorry um I'm, I'm thinking of various things and you know if people <laughs> for me the most important book on this topic written in a very long time about 10 years ago was a book called reinventing organizations by frederick Lalu. yeah um it's all about self-management and non-hierarchical organizations and I was the CEO of a non-hierarchical organization for a couple of years, about eight years ago. Um, so all of the principles are out there. I think one of the things that, that I'm hearing from you, which is uh, a special space that you're in, um, is, you know, you're, one of the things you're noting is people don't tend to talk about the crap stuff about work. And uh, one of my mentors used the phrase, used to sign off every email in her email signature said awareness is the greatest agent for change. And you talk about the economic term of agency or, mm. or self-empowerment and knowing we all have the ability to make choices. So Victor Frankel-esque as well, if you're into that as well. Um, but you've got, you've got a potential role simply bringing awareness and yes. having conversations. Um, I can imagine, I mean, you, you use the word, but there's a lot of, uh, I'm a bit of an NLP guy around language. So, you know, words like should, should, must, have to, and stuff tend to be eliminated from the language of, um, I'm quite easy for those things, a conversation with people around this to turn into a bit of a, um, negativity session. Uh, let's call it not using a slightly more politically correct word than the word we used to use a few years ago. Um, but how, you know, I think it's really powerful just to get out there and talk about examples and, and then so perhaps maybe, Give a few examples you've come up, you've, you've come across or talk about where things are, where work is crap and what can people do differently? What tips might you have where people can do things differently? Um, once they're aware that it doesn't have to be crap. Yeah. I think, I think, um, uh, yeah, the, the, the awareness is important. And I, and I think one of the things that, people don't always appreciate is, is, is organizations sort of inculcate this, uh, learned helplessness hmm. in people. And that's, that's just what the system does. So it's like, well, this is the way we do it and there's no other way of doing it. Hmm. And if you try and do it a different way, you get smacked around the head and, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, I always say, you know, if you went to a bar, no matter how good the bar, if every time you walked in, someone punched you in the face, you would stop going there after a while. So after a while, <laughs> you say, you know, like, I'm, Okay, I, yeah, I'm just gonna not do that anymore. Um, and just accept it, accept things the way they are, cause that's easy. Hmm. And, um, the people I'm really trying to speak to are the people like I, you know, sort of, uh, like I was in the, in the organization, which is, I can't do that. I can't just go with it if I know it's wrong. 
mm. or it could be better. I've, I have to try and change it. Um, because if you do give up, if you're like, if you're that sort of person that you have to do, you know, make it uh, better. Um, if you give up, then, you know, a little part of your soul is dying every day. Totally. And it, and it does lead, it can lead to some very dark places for people. So it, it's about having that initial, you know, the, the inner rebellion that all pirates have to go through to say, actually, I'm going to, I'm going to make a change happen here. Um, and then, um, to start, you know, breaking some rules. Um, but to do it in a way that means you won't get into trouble. So it is a much more, um, less direct, less confrontational, more subversive approach, if you like. Mm. of of making change happen um and it's about you know finding the, the people the like-minded people who are going to be your your crew and and be with you um and when i was in this you know, toxic bit of the organization i already had a bunch of crewmates mm-hmm. um, who who we all supported each other and had each other's backs um and yeah there's there's various sort of strategies you can take. So you know, pick on things that are annoying but aren't really that important, and change those. So it could be really simple stuff like you know, well we these meetings we have are pointless, so we're not going to go to them. Or no, we're going to cut all our meetings to half an hour because half of it's you know just because it's an hour in the calendar. It. Hmm. Um, or even things like I mean, there, there are some tactics uh, for for improving culture and um, that uh, uh some of them have been mentioned by Bruce Daisley in his book um Joy of Work. So things like uh yeah putting boundaries around when you send and receive emails. Yeah. So yeah. you as a team can say we are not doing any email emails at the weekend. Mm-hmm. And if any of us get emails from anybody we don't reply to them until Monday morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um because it Although you might get some pushback from the organization, if you're doing it as a, as a team, as a crew, you know, you're much stronger that way. And if you've got a rationale behind it, which is we need a break at the weekend, otherwise we're not fit, <laughs> you know, it's, it's for our mental health. Um, that's more likely to, to stick than the one person just appearing to be a bit of a, you know, loose cannon, as we used to be called. Um, hmm. And going against things, you know, which is inter- interpreted as someone just being a rebel for the sake of it. It doesn't make change happen. Um, interesting. That's, that's really interesting. I mean, cause I guess a key word for me as an individual is bravery. And I tend to attract people looking to be brave. And that, whether they're foolhardy or brave, who knows? But sometimes they are individuals who take those, those bold actions. But it's really interesting to note that looking to understand and empathize is that sometimes it, it takes people to be in a group or crew or team environment in order to take these, um, what the, the Be More Pirate people would call a small act of rebellion. Um, I must say, just to touch on that one for a bit, um, I have been espousing the idea of having core hours for emails for many, many years. And it's one of the tips I give to overworked and overwhelmed clients a lot. But yes, the response I'll often give is, I can't do that. People expect it of me. Yeah. And, and my, yeah, I suppose the argument I would make is we'll find a way of changing their expectations. Totally. So, and, and, and that could be, you know, maybe you, you will decide 
that you're going to put a, a footer on your email saying, you know, we won't, we won't, we won't respond to emails at weekends or, you know, but you can do it in a jokey way. You know, you could say, I don't know, um, yeah, if you, if you email us outside of work hours, sorry, we can't reply because we're on our pirate ship, you know, or we're on our desert island counting our treasure. So we're out of, you know, out of reach. Well, we can overstretch the pirate metaphor, but yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it, but I just use that. I mean, what, it, the, you know, there'll be something yeah. that you might come up with an idea or say, well, it's just a little bit cheeky, but um, I stole, I stole a similar idea from somebody years ago because I was dealing with a, a, a lawyer on a, on a matter. Right, commercial law, and um, I sent them an email, and they said I will be out of office for three hours uh, between such and such and such and such while I have dental surgery. <laughs> then I'll be back on my BlackBerry by one o'clock, and I went and and believe it or not, given that most law firms, in my experience, are governed by um, are governed by responsiveness, it's one of their core commercial values not expertise not being considered but how quickly do you reply to every email and all that kind of thing um i just thought this is just too much so i was off on vacation for three weeks shortly after that so i stole this idea from somebody i put an out of office on my emails that said any emails received in this three-week period will be deleted permanently if you wish to reach me um email me on or after such and such a date Meanwhile, I'll be on vacation. Right? And I didn't actually delete the emails. <laughs> I, I technically couldn't be bothered to find out how <laughs> I could do that. Um, but I just remember getting a burst of emails um, in the first few days of people going, that's really cool. I wish I was brave enough to do that. So, but the, 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 that's an, an interesting act of rebellion. Um, the, the other one you mentioned, just recapping, is like, you know, shorter meetings, more, more effective meetings, uh, and just setting boundaries, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and there's a lot, uh, and also identifying those unspoken rules that you're all obeying. Hmm. So, um, you know, maybe there's, there's certain formats of meetings that, that run and, and nobody asks the question at the beginning that would actually shorten the meeting because you're not allowed to ask the question to the end. You know, it's like, well, why don't we ask that question at the beginning? And, and, and as, as a, as a crew, we'll take turns to do it. So we'll, you know, a bit like, you know, a bit like in a football team when they will take turns to foul the best player on the other team. <laughs> no one will get really badly punished, but eventually the point will be made. This works better if we do it this way around. So it, it's, and it is about, it is about having some courage. Hmm. Um, but the, see, but, that one, but the courage, courage, that, that, that right. courage is, is, is a muscle you develop. So, you know, I think, yeah. I think one of the things we have to be cognizant of is not everybody has the same thresholds. Not at all. And to start with simply saying, you know, simply not answering emails to you back in the office or something like that might be a really, really big barrier or asking a question in a meeting may be something that someone's really struggling with. Um, so, yeah, take that first step. And then, you know, you know yourself, the more you do it, the, the, mm. it's, it's, you know, the more you step outside your circle of comfort, the bigger your circle of comfort becomes. Um, yes, and, and I mean, I, I ultimately the people that take the bold actions have already, have, have been exercising that muscle for some time and have got to a point where they're really happy taking the risk because, you know, because they can see that if it doesn't work out, they're happy to move on to something else. I think that's the other message I like to say to people is, 
this is this is about increasing your resources as well. So the more that you use your power and your agency to make change happen in your world, the more resourceful you become. So that if it does come to a point where you think, actually, I can't stay in this company anymore, hmm. or maybe the company made that decision, um, you are in so much a better place to yeah. go on to the next thing in your career or the next step you want to take in your life because you've empowered yourself. Hmm. You've, you've built your courage muscle up. You've experimented with things. You've done so much more than you would have done if you'd just sat there following the rules all day. Hmm. It's, it, and I'll go back to a thought from something you said a few minutes ago, but I like this. There's always the language of, you know, what do we mean by words? So, you know, agency is a word from economics that basically means in, in self-empowered or, or the fact you have the power, which is the people aren't aware they have that. But I remember when I was diagnosed, I had cancer this year for a few months and I'm, I'm through the other side of it, but quite a learning experience. And I remember when I got it, I said to a number of people, I feel really well resourced. And they thought, oh, have you got what tools have you got around you? I went, no, I just said in myself, I feel able to to cope with this and, and, and handle that. So that building your toolkit is part of it. And my thought is really around bravery and bold. And I think bravery and boldness are in the eye of the beholder and yeah. taking a tiny step. And I remember I trained as a coach well over a decade ago. And one of the things they trained us in very much was take a lot of time over making sure you've got the specific agenda of the client. Right? And I would have a meeting with somebody who'd asked to meet me about potentially working with them or their business. And it might be a one hour meeting in a coffee shop. And I might spend 45 minutes exploring what it was they want to talk about. And they're so used to people running into a meeting and going, this is the agenda, right? Let's get into it. Yeah. And the example, like, and so somebody taught me this example and then I used it and it felt scary the first time I did it. And the example was that, you know, imagine you're in a voluntary meeting of an evening, a school parent teacher association or something. It doesn't have to be in a corporate world. And it's being held at seven o'clock at night in your hometown or whatever. And everybody's tired. They've come home from work, et cetera. They go to the meeting and there's an agenda listed and there'll be standing committees and all this stuff in a monthly or quarterly meeting. And if you've got something that's a really burning issue for you, when do you get to talk about it? What's the agenda point called? Any other business. Any other business, AOB. And it's at the very end. So what typically happens is these meetings overrun, normally by an hour or two, and I'm not exaggerating. And they then some then people the unit should get to point seven on the agenda and point eight is any other business. After point seven, people start picking up their bags and get ready to go. And imagine you're the person who had one really burning thing you wanted your junior committee member you had one burning thing. Then you haven't been paying full attention. And if that happens, if happens then next time you show up, you're gonna be you're just gonna neither not show up or this happens. Well, I was on the, the board of a national swimming association and for several years and I wasn't chairing the meeting, so I was waiting for AOB and just watching people get upset every single time. And these meetings ran and ran and ran and ran. They they weren't very effective. People really enjoyed the meetings, talking about something once every every couple of months. Then I became the president of the association and I'm chairing the meetings. And I'd just done the coach training. And I felt I actually now thinking back on it, what you're talking about, bravery muscle, I felt quite scared. And I went, I'm gonna do something different. Right. And I didn't do it by email in advance. Eventually we moved to that. But I spent 15 to 20 minutes teasing out anything that people had to talk about. And I said, and I wrote it down. I said, we will get to this point. 
And if for any reason we don't cover all the points in this meeting, I will take them offline with you and deal with them in the next two working days. And it was quite scary to do it. But you know what I noticed after that? Everybody was paying attention because they went, oh, I'm going to get heard when it comes time. But it was such it was such a it, it was a tiny step. And it's now the standard practice for that organization. Right? But it was it felt so radical. I was in my mid to late 40s when I learned that. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, and how many meetings I'd attended in the previous 20 plus years, right? That were never run that way. It was always stick the stuff at the end. And if people show up, particularly for something they're passionate about, like a voluntary sports committee, right? They're going to have that burning issue. There's going to be something they want to talk about, whether it's fundraising or a particular event or something like this. And if you don't give them the chance to talk about it, it's not an effective meeting. No. So I'm going to give her a plug, and I really want to get her on my show, uh, my podcast, is my friend Dr. Carrie Goucher literally just finished a PhD in meetings. And she has now jumped back into um, a passion of sharing what she's learned after a multi-year PhD at Cambridge University. And she's running a business called Fewer, Faster, Boulder. And that's all about fewer, faster, bolder meetings. And she's on LinkedIn a lot um, for the audience because I'm too lazy to do podcast notes. Carrie, C-A-R-R-I-E, Goucher, G-O-U-C-H-E-R. Um, but uh, maybe connect with her yourself, Colin. And yeah, no, that sounds collaboration in there. That's, that's one, one of my bugbears is uh, there was this Microsoft report out this week about saying that there was a big up. They, they were embracing hybrid and they'd seen a big uptake in in uh, meetings. Um, on teams and I thought well you haven't embraced hybrid properly have you really because if you're really moving to new ways of working there should be much fewer meetings <laughs> there you go because so you could I, be doing it outside of meetings you know so so we've talked about a couple of tips so first of all it's around awareness uh, things can be different and you can have more agency and you can make break break rules and make good trouble and small acts of rebellion and then we said well what are some and you talked about how Doing it in a team can be a way of working somebody's bravery muscle and, and not be seen to be a loose cannon. And we used a couple of examples, one around not sending emails outside core business hours and another one around how to run a meeting. Um, have you maybe got one more tip for us and before some closing thoughts? Um, I guess um, I think one one of the things – if you want to make change happen and not get into trouble, then one of the ways to do it is to uh, get someone else to come up with the, with the ideas. So finding other allies in the organization, possibly at a slightly senior level, hmm. and getting them to present your ideas um, and familiarizing them with the changes you'd like to see can be quite effective. Um, because a, if if your idea does make it up to discussion, there's someone else who can say, "Oh yeah, I agree with that." Or even better, if they take it on board and start pushing it hmm. themselves. Um, it's tricks like it's tricks like that. It's and you know, sort of doing. And I say, carry on doing what you're doing. She's do what you want, but make it look like you're doing it in the way you're supposed to do it. Is a very effective tool. If you're having a meeting, you're having a meeting. If you're sending emails, you're sending emails, but you're just doing these small things that exactly. also take some of the crap out of work and make it more joyful, right? more, yeah. or, or at least more fun. 
it's not i mean the the example of me around the email was a friend of mine who was an independent they weren't in corporate and they're solo business and they were busy till eight o'clock at night every night but they never got to touch their emails all day so what did they do at eight o'clock at night it was answer all their emails and they worked in you know personal training and massage therapy and stuff like this so most of their clients were sitting on their ipads in front of the tv at that time of night and they got used to receiving emails between eight and nine and all this person wanted to do is clear their emails before they went to bed. All right. So what happened between eight and nine when they sent the emails? They got a whole bunch of replies in. So I said, just schedule them for the next morning. <laughs> I said, this was a revelation. It was life changing. And your last, the last thought, to play off your last thought, in if you were to look at the psychometric profiles of most senior leaders, um, a lot of them come from a style of which one of the behaviors in there, which is difficult to understand if you don't have that style, um, is is that they will hear a whole bunch of ideas and their brain will process them overnight and they'll wake up in the morning thinking it was their idea. And it's so one of the things you have to get comfortable with in the corporate world, and you might, sometimes it'll be true that it's their ego and they just want to steal the idea. But a lot of the time they genuinely think they've come up with the idea because there's so much information flowing across them. So one of the things to get comfortable with is that if you do implant or incept, if you like the movie, um, the idea into somebody's head, the most effective thing is they show up in a meeting in which they're, they're more senior than you and you're sitting in the meeting and they go, I had this great idea the other day. I think we should do this. And you have to bite your lip and just go, okay, it was my idea, but you know what? It's happening and I've made it happen. Um, so that's just my implementation tip is that even better than having somebody get on side with your idea is having them steal it. <laughs> yeah, and, and if you can, I mean, one of the things we talk about, uh, you know, is in, being a pirate is telling tall tales and you know it's about getting the message across if you can find a, a very distinctive and maybe slightly funny way of framing the yeah. idea then then they will pick that up and so whenever they say that all the people who know you will think yeah we know where that idea came from <laughs> so very you, get, cool. you get your credit eventually and it sells it better as well i mean yeah yeah so three three very useful and small and subversive rebellious acts that we can do to take some of the crap out of work. Absolutely. Um, closing thoughts from you, Colin, before we finish? Um, there's a lot of crap that can be taken out of work, so you know, people should get busy, I think. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fantastic. It's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, may we have more playgrounds than prisons at work. Absolutely. Thanks, Tom. Okay. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>